Orange County's only station with critical business information, Critical Mass, with your host, Rick Franzi. episode of Critical Mass Coast to Coast Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi, and this business talk show airs live on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at 4 p.m. and Thursdays at our special time of 3 p.m. All of our shows can be heard exclusively here on Internet Radio Station, octalkradio.net, spanning the globe with our message of the power of peer learning. And we're broadcasting from their state-of-the-art studios in Costa Mesa, California, in the Tech Space facility. If you're listening to this show as a podcast, we encourage you to consider listening to our show live during our broadcast times here on octalkradio.net. Critical Mass Coast to Coast is brought to you through a partnership of Critical Mass for Business with Renaissance Executive uh, Forums business leaders around the country here in North America and South South America. Executive Forums is an international organization committed to helping members take their businesses to the next level. This show is brought to you by our commercial sponsors, Succession Strategies, Decision Toolbox, Brandman University, and Smart Business Magazine. The goal for this show is to help you, our listening audience of CEOs and business owners, to make better and more informed business decisions. Our first guest today comes to us from San Antonio, Texas. He's introduced to us by our Renaissance Executive Forums partner, Peter Broiler, in San Antonio. And I'd like to welcome John Dewey, who is Vice President of Operations from Instruments Technology and Machinery, ITM. John, welcome to the program. Thank you, Rick. I appreciate it. How are you tonight? Uh, I'm doing wonderful, my friend. Tell us a little bit about ITM, Instruments, Technology, Machinery, please. Well, actually, we've revised our name a couple years ago. We still use the Instruments, Technology, Machinery name, but we changed it to Innovation, Technology, Machinery that reflects what our business is doing today compared to what we were doing before. The company's been in business since 1929, so we're not exactly a new start, and we are a manufacturing company. We design and build uh, manufacturing solutions for other manufacturing firms that they use to, to, manuf- to, to produce their products. We build the equipment that they use to build their products that everybody buys. What type of equipment are you talking about, John? Well, it, it can be anything. Depending upon the markets that we're dealing with, the equipment that we build can be anything from a full six-axis robotic system with no operators involved, works 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, down to just tooling and fixtures and jigs that help people put the products together in the right and correct fashion. Uh, as they're going down the assembly process. So it's everything from a complete assembly line down to individual fixtures and tools and jigs. I think most of us, certainly our audience of CEOs and business owners of under $100 million companies from across the country, if not hopefully around the world now, that listen to Critical Mass Coast to Coast and our radio shows, know that at least here in the United States, the manufacturing scene has seen its ups and downs. I would like to believe that we're in a manufacturing renaissance in this country on an upswing. But from your being a supplier to that industry and sector, from your perspective, John, um, what is the state of manufacturing, uh, you know, in the U.S. or in your serviceable market? Actually, it's doing very well. Uh, in addition to my duties as um, working with the ITM, uh, I I'm a former chairman and serve on the board of directors of the San Antonio Manufacturers Association, which is uh, a fairly strong trade association for manufacturing with uh, a number of projects that we have going on 
that are innovative for the industry at large. Things, uh, as you mentioned, the manufacturing itself has gone through a series of, of ups and downs, notably back in, in the mid-2000s. Uh, there was a, a great movement for offshoring. Yes. Uh, the economic downturn that occurred in, in 7 and 8, 2007, 2008, 2009, um, impacted a lot of that. Um, in, my, in our own case, uh, our particular company makes automation uh, for manufacturing processes, and that downturn period actually turned into record years for us um, because a lot of the manufacturing companies, and, and our client base is, is largely national, but we also do worldwide. Uh, our, our clients were looking to take the labor cost out of the cost of manufacturing, and they wanted to be able to keep the same productivity. They wanted to be able to meet the same production rates and produce the same number of products that they were doing before, but and reduce the labor content and labor costs that went with that. So they went to automation, which is the kinds of things that we do. What that means is um, that the productivity of manufacturing today is significantly higher than what it was even 10 years ago. We just completed an economic impact study for the period ending the 10 years uh, through the end of 2011. It was published in 2012 where the productivity rates now are about two to three times what they were 10 years ago for each employee that's in the manufacturing business. That means that each employee is making two to three times the number of products that they were able to make 10 years ago. That, so you that can do really, more with less labor. John, that really helps to uh, address the labor disparity maybe from keeping the manufacturing in the U.S. versus Mexico or you know, we all know that China's been a huge um, place for manufacturing to move to, but as you improve the manufacturing employees' productivity, it really helps to balance out maybe what the perceived um, real advantage of moving offshore is, which is the greatly reduced labor rate. And th there's other issues that go along with the offshoring exercise, and you hear some terms now in the media about reshoring. I've seen a lot of my customers bringing business back in where they've had plants in the U.S., but they've also had plants, say, in China or, or in the Asia uh, community, they're bringing a lot of that manufacturing back now. What traditionally was going offshore was the non-complex manufacturing things, the things that didn't take a lot of technology to build or a lot of technology uh, to understand how to build, um, and they're high in labor content. As we get more productive here through automation and eliminate the labor, reduce the labor portion of that, that uh, formula. And the countries, the third world countries that were, were increasing manufacturing are now starting to see increases in the cost of their labor. That coupled with the very long logistics chain of supply ships running from Asia to the U.S., uh, the vast amount of material that you've got tied up in those long logistics chains that if you have to make any changes, you can't because you've got three months' worth of stuff in the freight line. Uh, all of that people are looking at and saying, you know, maybe the sending of our manufacturing offshore wasn't such a good idea after all. There's more to the equation than just the cost of labor, and that cost of labor portion of it is now swinging back the other way also. And the, on the radio station here, octalkradio.net, they have a, another national show. It's a manufacturing show, and they uh, focus a lot on the supply chain managers' reports, etc. And in listening to their show, 
uh, you know, they're reporting through their surveys of the national manufacturing footprint. I mean, we've had five straight months of growth expansion, if you will, in our manufacturing capacity and sector across the country. I, you know, I, I'd really like to believe, being the the son of a of a foundry worker from Western Pennsylvania, that we could see with energy costs coming down a real renaissance in the U.S. in manufacturing, and I think it could be the foundation for a long-term growth trend that, you know, not a lot of people are talking about or realizing that is happening kind of under the headlines and under the radar. That's exactly correct. Um, the study that we did for the San Antonio region uh, that we published in 2012 was an economic impact study. Um, and most people don't view manufacturing, most of the common public don't recognize that manufacturers exist in their local community because they don't get name recognition. It's not like your grocery store or your particular... The name recognition they get is with a vehicle or an appliance. Right. But most of the manufacturing that's going on today is more than just those things. You've got the food and beverage stuff. You've got medical devices. You've got pharmaceutical products. That's all manufacturing, but there's no name recognition. So people don't know that there's manufacturing going on in the community. In our own report, we had a 75% increase in the productivity, the economic impact from 2001 to 2011. It went up to exceed a $30 billion regional impact when we consider the cost of exports. Uh, and that was huge. It wound up being the, the number one economic driver for our community. And the, the interesting thing was most of the people in the community didn't know manufacturing existed except those of us that were in there. I think if, if you want to do something for a community that has lasting positive impact, uh, establish a well-run manufacturing company because manufacturers are not islands into themselves. They need service providers, whether they be accountants, whether they be marketing people, public relations. They need a supply chain. They need an educated workforce. You know, there's just so many things that are good about having a successfully run, well-run manufacturing company in your community, uh, I, I can't um, stress enough to my listening audience how valuable it is to see manufacturing come back along with something that is, for as long as I can remember, certainly as long as I've been voting and I'm 55 years old, um, we've always talked about energy independence in this country and the fact that we didn't have it. And we are now on the, the precipice of having true energy independence, which for me, for you know, 20 years or so, I didn't think would would ever be able to do just for a variety of reasons. Oh, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Uh, the pricing of natural gas now, with all the uh, the shale uh, extraction processes that got going on now, the price of natural gas has come way down. And natural gas is the source of our electric energy in many places, uh, and the electric energy is what's being consumed by manufacturing. So, so this you mentioned uh, about what the impact was on the community manufacturing depending upon the particular category, uh, uh, subcategory of manufacturing, manufacturing can have as much as a 17 to 1 multiplier to wow. every dollar paid out in wages. There's a $17 impact, on, beneficial impact on the community from a manufacturing source. And when you start looking at, you know, where do I want to make my investments for the community? If I'm working economic development for my community, what kind of businesses do I want to bring in that are going to be most beneficial for the community? And you've got a 17 to 1 ratio there. That, that's huge. We're going to take our first commercial break here on Critical Mass Coast to Coast. John Dewey, who is Vice President of Operations for ITM, 
is my guest, and we're talking all things manufacturing. When we come back from the break, John, I'd like to, if you could maybe share with our audience uh, a little bit more about your firm from this perspective. What is it from your experience that makes your firm different or why do your clients choose to use your technology versus your competitors? So be thinking about that. We'll be back, ladies and gentlemen, in roughly two minutes. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to Critical Mass Coast to Coast, and I'm your host, Rick Franzi. Can we talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation, safely and securely, ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. back to this edition of Critical Mass Coast to Coast Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. I'd like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who download our show as podcasts each month. Uh, last month, you downloaded over 10,000 copies of our shows, and we truly appreciate your continued support of our program. All of our archives can be found on our website, criticalmass4forbusiness.com. And, of course, all of our radio show programs can be heard live streaming from OC talkradio.net. I'm talking with John Dewey, who is Vice President of Operations for Innovation, Technology, and Machinery. And, you know, I know I ask you to talk about why clients do business with you, but I, I think it's in your name, isn't it, John? ITM, my Innovation, Technology, Machinery. Maybe, maybe that's why they do business with us, but let's not put words in your mouth. From your perspective, what is that makes your company unique? Well, it what you said is, is there is a great deal of truth to that, and uh, we've changed the name to reflect that. As I say, we've been in business since 1929. We're not exactly a new start, uh, but we've evolved with what the manufacturing needs are and the technology that's moved along with that. We are a small business. And we have uh, under 50 employees, uh, but we do worldwide sport and, and uh, largely customer base in, in the U.S., outside of Texas and in Texas, but uh, largely the U.S., what we do, what we provide to our customers is the opportunity to develop unique solutions for their own particular unique product needs. Our customers make everything you can think of. My customers are, are automotive, they're medical devices, they're printed media, they're pharmaceutical products, 
their food and beverage, uh, their aerospace, literally anything that you can think of has to be made, and that's our customer base. We're very diversified in the context of what markets we serve. But the primary common thing that we do for all of them is we design and build custom solutions to meet their needs for new products. For the U.S. to be competitive, they have to come up with unique products, and they have to do that on a fairly regular basis. The technology today keeps moving forward, and everything is getting more complex. You can just take a look at your automobile with all the multimedia that's in the automobiles, the electronics, the components, and things that go along with that. We're working with an automotive, an OEM supplier right now that's making a vehicle every 57 seconds. Uh, so you have to be able to produce a complete vehicle every 57 seconds. Some things we look at, we're having to produce... 500 parts a minute. So the customers come to us because we have the ability to look not only at their product and how their product is put together, but also what the production processes are in order to do that and the technology necessary to be able to do that at, number one, the production rates they want to do, whether it's two a minute or 200 a minute. The complexity of the product is how it goes together so that we can put it together right. It has to be done consistently, the same way, every single time, and cost-effective. So they come to us because we can provide that assessment of what their products are. There are other people in the business that do the same thing we do. Some of our customers, in fact, do some of the same things we do. But the customers come to us typically to do one-off systems to meet a unique production demand that they've got that they can't find a solution anyplace else. Our repeat business uh, comes from those same existing customers. Uh, we get a lot of new customers. We don't do any formal advertising other than our website, um, but we get a lot of new customers because of word of mouth and the fact that a lot of the engineers that we work with at our customers' locations change jobs on a regular basis. So they get to a new company and say, you know, I know somebody that can take care of that problem, and they'll call us up. I think it's interesting. Thank you for that. That was very thoughtful and, and well worth listening to, and, and I understand. And I, you know, I am, in your role as the VP of operations, it has to be interesting to be a manufacturing company, manufacturing, manufacturing equipment for manufacturers. You know what I mean? It's sort of like being a CPA firm whose clients are all CPAs. I mean, you're dealing with people who are very understanding of what you're doing, right? I mean, you have an educated client base because they're manufacturers themselves. Well, actually, it's, it's, that, that's a good point, but I might state it the other way around. We're in a position that we have an understanding of what they're doing because we're also a manufacturer. And one of the things that we take a great deal of pride in is the innovation portion of our name. Um, and we've, we are always on the leading edge. We have all the latest tools and products to help us do things, all the latest CAD systems, the analysis systems. When we design a product, a product being the, the production system, the customer will send us a computer-aided design model, a 3D computer model of their product. And we design off of that. And everything we create winds up being done in, three, in the 3D computer design. So before we make any hardware that you can touch and feel, the entire system is designed and built on a computer that can be totally automated. And we sit with the customer and say, okay, this is how it's going to work. We can show them. We don't tell them. We show them. This is how it's going to work. This is how it reacts to your product. This is how the processes work. These are the critical areas and how we've addressed them. And they can get a good feel then before... Anybody's made the commitment to put metal into a machine. 
once we get approval for that, then we'll go through the manufacturing. And we manufacture everything in-house. So we manufacture it all. We do all the software development for all the controls because everything these days has computers in it. Right. do all the controls and put it all together. And we actually build their assembly line on our floor and produce their product on our floor wow. to demonstrate that it actually works before we deliver it and ship it to their place. So then we break it down, ship it, install it, demonstrate it at their facility, train their people, and then we come come away and start the next project. Well, that is the really a, part, a great way to demonstrate proof of concept. The interesting part, uh, at least in, in my job, is I get to go to all those customer sites initially to meet with them. And what's really, using an old person's phrase, what's really cool <laughs> is I get to see how all this stuff's made that everybody takes for granted that's on the shelf all the time. And if you see some of the TV shows out there that, you know, how things are made and they, they get you in the factories, I've been in all those factories or ones very much like them. And it really is neat if you're a technology geek to watch how stuff is made today that people just take for granted and consume. You know, for seven years, uh, I worked for a company by the name of um, Delphi, and I ran, um, for several of those years, I was president of a manufacturing wholly owned subsidiary. But if some, if some CEO or business owner out there in the audience hasn't ever had the opportunity to tour a man, an automotive manufacturing plant, they need to find a friend who can get them in there to get a tour because you want to talk about, like you said, building a complex product on a line with a cadence that never stops. You are in, I was in awe uh, of what the big three automotive manufacturers and the other foreign manufacturers who build and assemble here in the U.S. or in Mexico at least. It's amazing the logistics and the material flow that goes behind building a car and, and, and making sure that the right parts are at the right place at the right time. Exactly. And the right color and everything else. Yes, it's, it's amazing. And you know what's interesting is because people can relate a little more to the automotive because they, they, they drive them every day. But what's interesting is you can go into, say, a beverage manufacturer and watch the high-speed bottling process that goes into all that, uh, where they actually make the bottles and they fill them and they sanitize them and, and they cap them and they seal them and they label them and they mark them and all that. And we're talking about thousands a minute. It's just absolutely incredible to see how this stuff works at the speeds they run them at and get the quality consistently right. and right. safety levels out of the things. So I understand you have a 34,000-square-foot complex that was um, completed the first or second quarter of last year. C can you share from your perspective as the, as the VP of operations, expanding your facility must have been like a 50% increase in kind of square footage. Uh, having that much additional space, what has that allowed you to do in your role as the VP of operations, having that kind of capacity in, in square footage now? Well, manufacturing is a very capital-intensive business. Uh, no less so for us than our customers. So th there's a significant investment in manufacturing. We had uh, the exist. We moved into the existing facility in 1996, uh, and it was 21,000 square feet. And we figured we'd have all the room that we needed here for the rest of the time that we were going to be in the, alive and active in the business. Fortunately, that wasn't true. Uh, as I said earlier, with the economic downturn in 2007, 8, and 9, our business actually went into record years. Uh, because people were looking to try and, and automate the previous processes that they had. So we ran into a couple years where I literally did not have enough floor space here on the floor uh, to put equipment in. We had to bring trailers in to put equipment in. We had to hire uh, temporary people. 
to come in, students to work for us, uh, and so forth, callback interns that would have previously callback retired people, just to be able to meet the demands that we needed during those times. And after about two years of doing that, I sat down with the owners, and, and the owners made the decision that, you know, we were confident enough that it's time that we doubled our production capacity uh, floor space-wise, and we expanded another 15,000 square feet to the manufacturing floor, and we took, took possession of that mid-last year. And um, that's worked out well for us. Now, we'd like to think that that's going to satisfy us for some time to come, but if we're lucky, it won't. And I know uh, from the kind of background research I did on your company, I mean, you're using Six Sigma and you're using best practices in manufacturing. And in, in my shop, we had a chance to do some lean work, and we really were able to free up uh, floor space by just better layout. I would think with your expansion, you as the VP of operations had a chance to rethink how you wanted your shop floor to be optimized. You probably got a tremendous amount of productivity and efficiency out of the opportunity not only of having more space but kind of thinking about the space differently because you were already in kind of a in a disruptive mode of new space and renovation and that, that's exactly what we did uh, we once we had the new floor space available to us um, we took the existing manufacturing facility we had now because we're, we're basically doing three things in our facility we're doing the design activity where we've got all the engineering staff uh, doing both uh, mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, and software. So that's that's our office space area. We've got the manufacturing area where we're actually manufacturing parts, machining parts, and then we've got the final assembly and integration area, which is which is the, the third area of the business. Once we had the opportunity with the additional floor space, we totally revamped the manufacturing facility for flow, so we could have better flow through the building to cut down on the inefficiencies of materials taking a two-mile walk through the building when it only really needed to go 20 feet down the, down the path for the next operation. Um, so we did that. But we had to practice what we preach. One of the things that we do for our customers also, though, is our customers are all interested in lean. Lean is the way to do things. You need to cut down and eliminate unnecessary operations and improve the process flow, which is what we do when we design production systems for them. So we had to take the knowledge that we had been giving to our customers and also apply it to our processes in-house. And it, it's, it has greatly improved things. We have about three minutes left here on the radio program today. I'm wondering if you might be able to just, from your perspective, being on the executive team and such an integral part of the leadership of the company, what's the future hold for your firm? We're looking forward to continuous growth. Um, the, the biggest problem we have right now, and it's it's not so much ITM unique problem as much as it is manufacturing, because our customer base is manufacturers. Uh, there's still a great deal of uncertainty on economic conditions for the national uh, manufacturing uh, situation. People are a little hesitant to go ahead and make the capital investments for the kind of equipment that we build until they have some more idea of the stability of the national economy, where they're going to go, whether it's going to have a payback for them for the investments on the capital equipment that they need to do. We, we're not seeing as much in the way of process improvement work going on now. We're seeing work that we're doing in the context of new product introductions, um, but some of that's still slowing down. And there, there's, unfortunately, a lot of wait and see uh, on what's going to happen for the national economy in the manufacturing business in general. They're a little more hesitant this year than they were two or three years ago about making those investments. Most of the people have invested already as a result of the economic downturn. Uh, there was, as 
there was a heavy boom at that period of time now, so they're having to, to hold back a little bit and think about, am I going to, what's the economy going to look like and how soon am I going to get my investment back? So, but things, mid last year, things got a little slower again. Uh, fourth quarter last year and currently so far into this month, things have picked up fairly significantly and we're pleased with it. And we so, anticipate at least through second, third quarter of this year that things are going to remain fairly strong. So if someone would like to learn more about Innovation Technology Machinery, ITM, in Texas, how do they find you online? Uh, they can go to our website, which is www.itm-hyphen, and that's the symbol, not the word, Texas spelled out, dot com. And it's an interactive website. They can see some of the projects we've done and get an idea of what our capabilities and resources are. Or they can give me a call or send me an email if they like. And the, uh, my email address, is that okay to give out? Uh, please do. Okay, it's j.dewey, D-E-W-E-Y, at itm-texas.com. And the phone number here is 210-651-9066. We'll be glad to help you or talk to you. And if we can't help you, we'll try and send you in the right direction where you can get some help. Well, John Dewey, Vice President of Operations, I'm very glad that Peter Broiler, our Renaissance Executive Forum's business partner in San Antonio, brought you and your company to our attention. I want to thank you for your time today, welcome you to our community, being a part of the critical mass business community, and thanks for being a friend of the radio show. Rick, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much. You're welcome. All right, this is Rick Franzi. I am the host of this radio show, which airs three times a week here on octalkradio.net. I'd like to thank our engineer for today, Paul Roberts, in the studio, our producer, Crystal Nunley, and our guest coordinator, Kathleen Shepard, for all that she does in support of the program. Until the next time we have a chance to talk, uh, here's hoping that all of your decisions will move your business in a positive direction. You've been listening to Critical Mass Coast to Coast right here on Orange County's only community radio station, OCTalkRadio.net.